Romans 12, 1 through 8. Therefore, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to faith, if it is, oh, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give gener generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the Wades are having a baby in like a week or something. Congratulations. Congratulations, guys. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, have your way. Reveal your son Jesus to us afresh. Holy Spirit, come. We gather to have our affections renewed once again toward you, Lord Jesus. We want to see you. Let us see Jesus today. In his strong name we pray, amen. All right. Uh, once again, I just always love to welcome you if you're new or visiting. Um, so we're so, so pumped to start this series. So we start a new, it's very short, like four, four weeks uh, it's a mini-series all about why we do this thing called church. And the name of the series, I think we have a slide for it even. Maybe, maybe it's in there. The name of the series is As Family We Go. As Family We Go. So if you have the slide, great. If not, no worries. But uh, I love that as an identity phrase. As Family We Go. Those four words is really who we are. We are God's family in the world on his mission for the world, as family we go. So what I wanna talk about today to kick this off is that we are this, this tight-knit spiritual community full of both beauty and brokenness, and we carry something unbreakable which makes us unstoppable, and it's the gospel of Jesus. So there's this paradox in the room, you guys. We're so messed up in so many ways, and yet we're unstoppable. This church thing is invincible indestructible because of what we carry from God. Uh, his Holy Spirit enabling us to bring the gospel into the world to accomplish God's purposes. And, and, and so this is what this series is about. We're, look, we're looking to the scriptures for uh, how this thing called church came to be and why we believe church is God's plan A to bring his healing presence into the world. And then at, at the end of the series, you guys, there it is. So I love that. We're like the household going through deserts and, and waters and, and hills. Like we're the house of God going. Um, uh, and, and at the end of this series, we're going to announce some exciting new developments we've been working on behind the scenes to plant another new church in San Diego. Um, and so that's kind of the, the big reveal or the invitation at the end of this series thrilled about what God's going to do. So as family we go, we opened with Candace reading Romans 12, which is one of the most famous moments in the New Testament where Paul teaches the church how to be the church. It's, it's kind of a one-stop shop. If the church is going to live out the Sermon on the Mount as a church, not just as like a little group of friends, uh, then Paul gives it to us in Romans 12. It's, and it's drenched in the language of family. And we're going to walk through the entirety of Romans 12 in about seven minutes. So seven minutes into this, we're going, to, we're going to go through Romans 12. But I want to set the table. Let's think about where we're at. Think about who we are, where we're located. So uh, this is a spectrum 
from uh, cultural intelligence guy, David Livermore. I don't know if you've read his book, Cultural Intelligence. So helpful for me. So according to the, the guys that study this stuff, social scientists, cultures today exist on this spectrum, all the way from thinking of me first to thinking of we first, individualist and collectivist. And they're typically Western individualists and non-Western kind of collectivists. So in individualist cultures, personal rights are up there, like my personal rights are the highest good. Freedom, personal autonomy, main virtue. This is like, I'm responsible for me and my immediate family and my stuff, and I'm way less responsible for the whole group, my whole neighborhood or my whole city, because after all, they are individuals just like me who should be taking care of their, themselves too. That's kind of individualism. And Western countries, generally speaking, tend to lean that way. America, Australia, America, you guys, doesn't just lean there. We're like all the way to 11 there, right? French historian uh, de Tocqueville did his famous tour in 1831 of the newly formed United States. About 190 years ago, you, the U.S. was getting its DNA going, and he's like, whoa, this is an experiment in extreme individualism. Like, he came from France. He's like, France, the French Revolution was about the individual, but this is extreme. And, and de Tocqueville, he predicted it would end in the abolition of humanity. Like, happy, happy Sunday to you, right? <laughs> so, so thanks, de Tocqueville. Glad you enjoyed America. Uh, but let's face it, he wasn't totally wrong. Extreme individualism is inseparable from the modern American spirit. So that's individualism. And on the other end is collectivism which is more non-Western. Africa, Asia, there's more a we culture thinking. The group is more important than the individual. Social ties and belonging are more important than personally expressing my own rights. And the individual is responsible to make the best decision for the larger group, which doesn't just include my bio family, but the group can include neighbors and classmates, extended relatives just as much as family often. So why am I saying all this? Because in our culture of hyper-individualism, Jesus is calling Park Hill Church and any churches we plant to become his counter-community of tight-knit, loving relationships. We are first and foremost followers of Jesus. That's our primary identity, children of God, and our plumb line is Jesus. His life, teachings, the clarity of the New Testament, Jesus himself is to be the primary influence in our lives. And Jesus and his New Testament, written by his apostles, his deputies, they introduce us to a way of life that's way more we than me. It doesn't erase me, but it's way more we than me. And so Jesus' call is that we, for America, we have to take his call for us. So for us, it means a hard shift, an intentional shift. If we're unintentional, we'll stay there. And individualism. We'll just let that happen to us and, and hole up in our private lives. Uh, so we have to intentionally answer Jesus' call and move that way toward we and tight-knit relationships. This is Jesus' vision for his church. You can't read the New Testament without seeing this dripping off every page. So Jesus' vision, next slide, it, Jesus' vision is of a redeemed, radiant new humanity that's becoming a family of love who will one day rule over all the earth by Jesus' side. It's not just Jesus' vision for some distant future, but it is command to us today to live that future life now together as his spirit-driven family, his community. And one of the best places to see this vision in the New Testament, as I said, is Romans 12. So we're about to walk through it. And as we do, I want us to hold a question in our minds. As we read Romans 12, hold this question, driving question for the series. Do I exist to see something flourish that's bigger than me? Even if it means disadvantaging myself and embracing vulnerable relationship for the sake of the body. Obviously, the answer we're looking for is yes. <laughs> yes, this is why we exist. But listen, let's not look for an obvious answer. Let's not ask the question for an answer. To check and move on. 
Let's let that question genuinely unearth inconsistency in how we're living. And the Spirit of God, He loves you. He's revealing the heart of the Father to you right now. And the Father's heart for you is love. And so He doesn't bring this question to you in any other way, but as a God who loves you and desires you to be a lover of souls like He is. So questions. Where in your life have you been unwilling to disadvantage yourself for the benefit of the body of Christ? Or where have you chosen safety or isolation over being vulnerable? If we're going to be the tight-knit, loving family of Jesus in our me culture, we have to let these questions confront us and regularly. Because authentic spiritual community is so far from, far from easy. It's messy and it's not glamorous. We talk about it all the time. It's a buzzword, community but you actually start doing it, and it's never what it's cracked up to be, but it's so worth it. So rather than me convincing you, let's listen to the New Testament itself, Romans 12. And for context, in chapters 1 through 8 of Romans, Paul's talking about the gospel and all that Jesus has done to save sinners from their own devices and to bring us salvation and adoption. And chapters 9 through 11 are all about God bringing two unlikely groups, ethnic Jews, ethnic Gentiles, together as one new family. And, and then he says this, Romans 12, here's how we're going to live this out. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because we've seen him rescue us, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You're nothing you have. You don't, you're not your own. You're not your own. It's not just individualism. We're not our own. We offer our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Reset your neural pathways. Meditate on what is beautiful from God and true in the Scriptures and true about your identity as a loved daughter or son. Because if you think about the bad stuff all the time, your, mind actually, your brain chemistry actually changes. We know this. This is neuroscience since 2004. I just heard this brain doctor talking about it. Since 2004, neuroscientists are realizing what Paul always knew about the renewing of your minds actually changing, changing you. And, and so renew your minds. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Continue on in this chapter. So Paul's favorite metaphor for the church is brothers and sisters. Sorry, I'll read that in a second. I gave you the wrong cue. So uh, family. This is his metaphor. Family. Not based on blood. Not, you guys get this. Not based on blood. Actually, go back to that slide. I urge you... I urge you, no, sorry, the one that I did before. I'm being very unclear for those poor, poor people. <laughs> so, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, family. He didn't say church members, or he, he says saints a lot, but even more so, he says siblings. And, and, and so, family, and it's not based on blood, but as Jesus put it, whoever does my Father's will is my brother and sister and mother. Do you realize what this means? <laughs> Without, without demoting biological family, Jesus promotes spiritual family up to the same level, and he redraws the lines of family around himself, and he extends the definition of family to include the whole community of followers of Jesus. So now, with that, we read the next chunk of text. For by grace, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, remember your, your siblings, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Look at all the members in the room right now. Each member belongs to every other member. Just absorbing that into a way that we, we can actually process and live out 
is to, is to fight against our individualism. <laughs> like, I don't, off, I don't often walk into this room, and I'm the pastor, and I don't often walk in and say, I belong to you, you belong to me. That's not my first thought, but it's Paul's thought. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So this is all under Paul's metaphor of siblings, and then he introduces another one, body. We are the family. We're also the body, family and body, where each body member plays a part, and we need each other to stay alive. In other words, in your family, in your spiritual family, your community group, whatever, you're needed. Your gifts are needed. Your, 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 the urge to, to share that prophetic word, that's needed. We need you to act on that. We need you to bring that serving and teaching. When you're at community dinner and you get the sense that Rebecca across the table is having a bad week, Rebecca needs you to speak intentional encouragement or prophetic word over her life. And when, when Jim, Jimmy, not thinking of anyone in particular, when Jim brings up a prayer request about financial needs, he's like, I, I need money for these reasons. Or when you bring your need to Jim, uh, maybe, maybe Jim needs you to be creatively generous toward him or vice versa. These, this is Romans 12. Actually, where is this happening in your life? Whether it's coming to community to humbly share a word or a scripture or you have a song. Like, this is really embarrassing. I actually have a song I want to share. <laughs> How many of you guys have a space for that or, or, you want, or to offer to watch kids or help clean up? Whatever it may be, Paul's point is that the church is a body and we depend on each other to stay alive and flourishing. So I, I want to encourage you, maybe, maybe right now, coming out of this storm and coming into this series... Start, start, start challenging yourself to walk in, not just community night, but this room, Building 177, and be like, I'm actually stepping over this threshold to contribute something, to give something. What is it, Holy Spirit? Uh, I, I'm needed here for something. What is it? The, and, and then, if you come in with that mindset, you see the opportunities that are there. Uh, that's kind of a secret agenda, evil genius, hopefully, agenda I have for, for you guys, that you start walking into this building going, I have something. I, I want to figure out what it is, and I kind of do already know, and I'm going to give it. Um, so, so and, then, and then the next comes a couple dozen commands that give shape to the kind of culture we're supposed to be. So what's, what, what's this family life supposed to feel like? What's the mood? How are we supposed to behave? Here it is, the rest of this chapter. We're, gonna, we're actually going there. It's so prof just uh, challenging and beautiful. Here it is. Love must be sincere, first thing. There's not a whole lot of room for sarcasm when you read the New Testament, and yet I kind of love it. <laughs> I love being sarcastic with people, um, but, but sincerity is the opposite of it. I wonder if our sarcastic way of interacting is often kind of a, a guard or a defense to being known. Um, you know, so it, love must be sincere and, and hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Think about your community. Think of, think of the people you follow Jesus with. How are these things being lived out? Be devoted, committed to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Like, how, even if it feels fake, how much passion are you displaying for Jesus? Sometimes you have to act on it to feel it. I, I do believe these things, and they're so true. And if I believed that they were true, I would act this way. You choose to act this way. You choose to lift your hands in worship because you don't feel like it. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. I mean, that's, that's a series all. So patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. How are you praying? Are you faithful in prayer? That's another series on its own. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Continue going through this. This is the mood. This is the, this is the constitution of the family. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. I love riffing on harmony because I'm a musician and it takes, it doesn't take very much at all <laughs> to, to fall out of harmony musically. Uh, it doesn't take much at all. And, and if, you're, if you're used to hearing good harmony, you can actually tell even more <laughs> when it's slightly out of tune. And, uh, and I, would, I would apply that metaphor to your communities. I wonder how, how accustomed to harmony we are so that we almost are developing a perfect pitch. We can hear when things are in key. We can hear when people are aligned. And we can actually move toward, when there's a pitch problem, when people are singing out of harmony, when there's conflict, we can actually move toward it and we know how to tune up. So, so think of that metaphor as it relates to your community. Are you living in harmony? Do you know what harmony sounds like? Can you call your community back into harmony? And then, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Okay. Do not be conceited. And then finally, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Now Paul's, he's like getting more intense. He's speaking in stronger terms, uh, sweeping superlatives. He's like, just do it. Don't do anything wrong, he's saying, you know. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, instead of taking matters in your own hands to make sure that someone else feels that you're hurt, instead of that, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So instead of making your, your enemy or your opponent or the person who hurt you, instead of making them feel your thirst by with, withholding, Give them more than you have. Give them thirst quenching. Give them attention and love. So in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not, uh, that is, by the way, heap burning coals, some think that is both good and bad. Like burning coals were really valuable things. You need them to cook. You need them to provide a warm hearth, a warm fireplace in an ancient home. But it also can be like heap burning coals. Man, that's that's a big responsibility, and you can hurt yourself with those hurting coals. So it's either one. It's very intense. In doing this, you'll give them what they need, and, and you'll bring them in line. Verse 21, finally, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. My goodness. You guys, Romans 12. Um, such a compelling vision for family. From Jesus, ultimately, and that's Paul interpreting Jesus for us, for the church. And it's actually impossible to do all this unless our identity is firmly rooted in God's love for us. Right? This is the renewing of the mind. He starts a chapter, don't be formed by the world. It's very easy to be formed by the world. We just do nothing. And it just, it, it's, we're unintentionally formed all the time. Instead, intentionally rearrange your brain's chemistry by, by settling your thinking on the truths of who God is and who he says you are. And, and the Holy Spirit empowers you in that as we choose to commit to this. And we become the family that goes, as family we go. So this means committing. This is a commitment, you guys, to God and one another. <clears throat> so that uh, uh, until God leads us into a new season, we're committed to the family of Jesus here. So committing to God until God sends us. Uh, so we, we resist the urge, you know, to hop around between churches or hop around between community groups and take seriously, hey, if Jesus has called me to this church family, and if not, to follow Jesus faithfully to a church family, I can be 100% committed to. That is kind of the call here. Because uh, let's face it again, we live, we live in a culture where there are dozens, if not hundreds of great churches to choose from. Amazing churches all over the place, most of which preach powerful gospel sermons and they serve the city faithfully, right? And they worship Jesus passionately with their hearts. And it can be like, 
man, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could commit to just one church for the long haul. There might be a really great church that pops up later on, you know, or keep our options open kind of culture. Or I've, I've often recently even, last week at basics course, one guy came up to me and he's just like, I don't know if I can do community. I just love double dipping in a lot of churches, he said. He just said that to me. I'm like, that's awesome. So many great, he's like, I have great friends. I just love worshiping in different churches and I, I just need more sermons all week long from different places. And listen, I want to applaud that passion 100,000%. That passion for hearing the word preached, absolutely wonderful, and experiencing worship in different contexts. It's beautiful. But I, I do want to say that I think that's less like being, in a, vul being a vulnerable member of, of a family. Uh, it's less like being a vulnerable member of God's family and more like using God to hide from family. Like you're using church to hide from being family. Um, and this is what Pete Scazzaro calls, you know, using God to hide from God. It's when you fill your time with Christian stuff. Uh, you got to always be the one serving or gaining Bible knowledge or attending a worship service after worship service without ever committing to be known uh, by a tight-knit, vulnerable group filled with the Spirit with the intention of being shaped into Jesus' image for the long haul. Which brings up a related point. Uh, uh, Matt personally brought this up in our sermon crafting process this week. Related point, as, as evangelicals, because that's kind of what we are, we typically don't leave church well, right? We typically just don't have like a process for like leaving church. Um, I, I would love to do a whole a whole teaching or a whole class on how to leave how to leave your church. Like, like we bless people who, who leave well. That's amazing. Like we're because we're so independent. We're such individualists that we don't feel that we share responsibility with the person next to us. We don't actually believe Paul when he says any one member belongs to the rest. We don't actually believe that. So we feel like we can just leave. We can just ghost. And it doesn't hurt anyone, but that's like not how a family works, right? I mean, as, as your loving, hopefully loving neighborhood pastor, that's just not what families do. And, and unless we're sent through like prayer and loving communication and blessing and like even difficult, it can be a difficult sending, but at least it's clear and loving. Unless we're sent, then an, just an absence from any one of us affects all of us. Um, and we really need a category for this, for leaving church well, a biblically informed category for how to leave your church, because I think you should leave your church <laughs> well, I think. Uh, it, it's, it's, as fam uh, it's as family we go, not as family we ghost, right? Um, so we need a category for leaving well through not ghosting, but, but sending, S actual sending, but that could be an entire sermon on its own. So uh, that was just kind of a little uh, aside. Uh, but as we walk through this series, this is the call, that you would embrace the spiritual practice of community for the long haul with your whole heart, believing that the Father's love is present and just ready to be poured out through the Holy Spirit, through the family. Um, so, but I, I do want to say, committing and submitting to family is hard and messy, and it's tense, and on top of that, we're individualists. I beat that drum a lot already today, but that makes it hard for us. That makes it hard, which, which is why we need to, I need a name. I'd be irresponsible if I wasn't naming something that's extra hard for us that Jesus wants us to do. Uh, so for the rest of this teaching, four quick reminders that'll end us and bring us to the table, four values that we've talked about before uh, uh, to give shape to how we're choosing to practice community as spiritual family. And I've, I've mentioned them over the years. I'll keep mentioning them through the years. And here they are, community as family as spiritual family, is number one, it's not optional for discipleship to Jesus. It's not optional for discipleship to Jesus, becoming like Jesus. Because you cannot follow Jesus alone. You cannot follow Jesus alone. In the words of the Desert Fathers, you know, these guys, 1,700 years ago, following Jesus together in the desert, they said, one Christian is no Christian. We think of the holy desert fathers like they were living alone in caves. Some of them were, but most of them were not. They depended on each other for everything. St. Cyprian, in, uh, he lived AD 250-ish. He said it like this. He cannot have God for his father 
who has not the church for his mother. Our brethren who have been freed from the world by the summons of the Lord should not be mourned since we know that they're not lost but sent before. There cannot be salvation for any except in the church. My goodness. And the context there, it's, it, it was a crazy time when Rome was persecuting, killing Christians for becoming Christians. And, but Rome would say, hey, if you deny Christ, we'll spare you. And so some would deny Christ. And so the church had a rule at the time that was, if you deny Christ under persecution, you're out. And so they'd try to become Christians alone because the church wouldn't let them back in. And, and, and they're like, we, we can't, we, we need the church. They realized, I can, I can confess faith in Jesus in private, but I need my family to recognize that I'm sorry for denying Christ. I'm like, Peter, I'm sorry for denying Christ. Bring me back into fellowship. And the church was like, nope. We, we're, our loved ones are dying at Rome's spear, and you are surviving because of denying Christ. We're not letting you back. And Cyprian stands up, and he says, we obviously have to let them back. We obviously have to extend forgiveness, 70 times 7, because he cannot have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. There can't be salvation for any except in the church. We can't control people's eternity. We can just be family. So that was the context, and it's profound time, because discipleship to Jesus cannot be done alone. They knew this. It cannot be done alone. Cyprian knew that. We know this because following Jesus is a family thing. As family, we go. Even the idea that you can follow Jesus without church is brand new, modern post-1800s idea. So in other words, some of us are thinking, man, this, this is hard. This is a hard teaching, and it feels uncomfortable, and I get that, and I'm there with you. Because it's easy to love the idea of community, you know, this idea. It's way harder to love Bob. Like across the table when he makes that politically offensive comment, just completely tone deaf. Come on, Bob. Uh, or or it's, 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 it's more difficult to love like Janice when she never cleans up after dinner. She never lifts a finger. She's just talking and talking. And, or to love Jamie when he keeps forgetting to show up to community night over and over and over and over. It's like, are you... Are you in? Like, are you out? And, and of course, in healthy community, you also confront Bob. You also confront Bob about his offensive comment. Or when, you know, Janice never helps out or when Jamie doesn't show up. Because in healthy community, we sacrifice our personal rights for the flourishing of the whole family. This is why I love Romans 12. Paul just assumes there's going to be tension and weird personality conflicts and horrible misunderstandings. And hard misses on communication. Oh my gosh, I had no intention of saying what you heard. <laughs> Paul knows that's going to happen. Paul speaks to that very real messy family and he's like, hey, the practice of spiritual community, it's not optional for your discipleship. Or in Paul's words in Romans 12, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourself. And secondly, community as family, it's not optional for a well-lived life. Like your, your health and well-being depends on this. This is a very broad observation. I think it's actually profound. You were born, your body is a relational soul. You're not just a soul with a body vehicle. You are, you are a body. You are an embodied soul and an ensouled body. You are your body, which is why we felt so bad during COVID when we weren't together in bodies. And, and on page one of the Bible, we discover humans are made in the image of God. Our bodies are made in the image of God. If there's anything that teaches us, it's that we humans are designed and defined in our relationship to other people. Like, we're, I'm defined by my relationship to others. Namely, first, God, the Father's love, defines me. And then we carry that out in our day-to-day -day relationship to others this is why the first human problem in the Bible, you know what the first human problem in the Bible is? The aloneness of the human. It's not good for Adam, the human, to be alone. God saw humanity and said, it's not good. That's the first not good thing. And there's lots of good things. 
And listen, we hear that statement, it's not good for man to be alone, and some of us are trained to hear that in terms of marriage. So it's not good for man to be alone, so so God makes woman. And so that only means marriage cures loneliness. But that's not what the text means. That's not what the text means. Community, family, spiritual family is the point of that text. And obviously marriage plays a huge part in many spiritual families, but not all, right? So marriage is not the ultimate goal of a well-lived life. You can be fully flourishing human as a single person, and we say this because we follow the most flourishing human who's ever lived, and he was single, and his name is Jesus, <laughs> right? So, so all this to say you were born a relational soul, whether single, married, extroverted, introverted, whatever. If one close relationship in your life is off, you're an emotional wreck. I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert, right? And your relationship with God is out of sync because your relationship with Joe is out of sync. Because God designed human life as this big, beautiful, emotional, relational hairball. That's who we are. You can't separate us out. So in Paul's words, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You guys, we have to do this for our whole well-being. This is healthy humanity. So thirdly, community as spiritual family, it's not optional for becoming like Christ. It's not optional for changing the way we want to change. When a person comes to Jesus and begins living in committed relationships around Jesus, something beautiful and painful, both beautiful and owie, starts to happen, and it hurts. And it's the exposing of your darkness and the encouragement of your heart, both at once. Exposing and encouraging. So both. It's this tension, you guys, and it can be miserable, and it can be the best thing in your life. Um, and by the way, this is why community is not the same thing as a group of friends, just a group of friends. You need a group of friends, but you also need people that see you on your good days and bad days. Group of friends usually see the filtered version of you, the always make up on, never sad version of you. Group of friends, casual friends, but, but that's not enough. I need people who are so close to my life, they know firsthand how badly I can speak to my wife. They know how badly, I, how, what a jerk I am sometimes to my family. I need community that knows how I actually am. Casual friends, friends are great. Spiritual family is essential. Why? Because we all have this shadow side. We all have a, a shadow side. The problem is it's a shadow side to you, but not to everyone else. We can see it, you know. Like my blind spots are blind to me. That's what makes a blind spot blind. So I need 360 eyes. I need a family that back to back has my eyesight so that I can repent and everyone else sees Jesus more clearly in my life. And honestly, these are the parts of community that are not super fun and they take time. I wanna be like Jesus this year. (laughs) I wanna control the outcomes of my spiritual journey. I want to mentor two people every quarter that go mentor three people so that I have an MLM discipleship plan in my name. You know, like I want to be effective and I want to be wise. I want to grow up and be a sage when I'm 60 and people ask me questions. That's all my ego and my shadow. And, but Jesus has a different timetable for me than I do. And, and, and it takes time to become like him. And it's absolutely essential to have people in my life for a long time. A long time when it feels like, all right, I'm done with that group. I'm supposed to be growing now. No. And this growth happens when you sit down with that other person and you say, hey, I just want you to know the way I experienced you last Monday night, it was hurtful. It was hurtful for these two specific reasons. You said this and you said this and here's how I heard it. And I felt ignored, and I want to believe the best about you, so I'm coming to you, I love you, and I'm committed to you, which is why we're talking. I wouldn't do this if I wasn't committed to you. And then you let them respond, and you listen. And then you repent, and there's forgiveness, and you do that next month, and do that next quarter, and do that next summer with the same person. And you do it next, the next year. And it's that kind of godly confrontation that exposes and changes me and you to be more like Jesus. It's hard, powerful stuff. It's way easier to just back away, to click unfriend. 
It's way harder to stay devoted for transformation, but that's the way of Jesus. And, and it's not just exposing hard stuff, it's encouraging good stuff. Equally, if, if all your community does is confront and call out, that's a bad time, unhealthy. Encouragement should go two to one on exposing. Encouragement, prophetic words over one another, calling out the truth about each other. Because psychologically, you guys, the only way to get, you've said this before, the only way to get healing from relational wounds is through relationships. Our deepest wounds come from relationships, right? Our deepest hurts come from people. And our greatest healing comes from relationships with people, which is hard. It's hard to come to grips with that. But the saddest thing in the world is when wounded people reacting to excruciating pain maybe parent wounds or marriage wounds, they wall off from other relationships because they naturally don't want to get hurt again, and basically they go on staying broken, saddest thing in the world. So the only way to get healing is to step back into the things we fear, relationships, deep relationships. It takes time. And fourth and finally, as we uh, get ready to eat and drink the body, of, the body and blood of Christ, Community as family walks hand in hand with commitment. This is a thread through this whole teaching, right? Hand in hand with commitment. And I, don't, I don't know about you, but I tend to approach relationships with like this Evan-oriented logic. Like, is this Evan's kind of person? Like, is this my kind of people? Is this my kind of group? Am I going to feel like I'm having a good time in a month from now if I stay? Which is another way of saying, what's in it for me? How will this person make me look? How will this person make me feel? That's just me. That's not them. Because uh, we live in a world of options, so we hold out. What if there's somebody better or cooler or I don't know all my options yet? This is our mindset, and so we're commitment phobic. So we keep people at arm's length, but the reality is we can't experience the community we long for. Slide 22 there. We can't experience the community we long for without commitment. If you were here last Sunday, you remember the difference between connection and commitment, right? We talked about connection. Everyone needs connection. Everyone needs commitment more. I'm so glad people find connection here at Park Hill, but any connection we get here is so we might be committed to God first and then to his family. Because why? Like, God is not just connected to me. God's committed to me. Right? So if we want all, if, if you want this, hopefully you're getting the real picture of the spiritual family that's both infinitely beautiful and so difficult. If we want this, safe, open, honest church. If we want to be the family, as family we go, then we have to commit to this group of people that's gonna be never what it's cracked up to be and isn't perfect, it'll hurt and misunderstand and have problems and yet you just have to look at all of them in the room and say, I'm in this with you. I'm in it with you. So it means commitment to people but also place. Like I'm in it with you here. I'm here, I'm here in it with you in San Diego and I, and I realize this cuts the grain, cuts against the grain of like SoCal, transient, light touch, fun in the sun culture, um, but this sense of placelessness, it's in the roots of our city. You know, whether we're here for like military or school or career, people move here with like a short time, they have other plans to after, you know? Um, so we move here, we don't really settle, we live in an apartment, rent to lease, move every six, 12 months, work a great job, enjoy the city, eat our way through the city and then move on, you know? Um, and if that's you, if you're here for a short window, amazing, welcome, so glad you can be here for this window. I know lots of you are here for Navy, um, UCSD, Point Loma, San Diego State, uh, or, or temp jobs or whatever, which is awesome. Community will obviously look different in different phases of life. But as your friendly, you know, neighborhood pastor, I, I want to take a moment to call you as I have in the past, and I, I'm impressed at the way you guys respond to this call, uh, call you to pray about committing to San Diego and a Park Hill community for the long haul, like the double 
2x times. So in other words, if you're here for a career for four years or two, if you're here for a nursing job for two years, that's your plan, I would, I would encourage you to consider orienting your mindset around being in San Diego, not around your career, but around the mission of God. And, and not just two years, but double it, four, for the mission of God. Or instead of four years for a bachelor's degree, go eight years for the mission of God. Instead of three years for that internship, go six years for the, for the mission of God, for the family. I, I, honestly, um, so you can put the slide on while I'm talking, that next one. You know what's fascinating? I've, I've made that call before a couple times. And uh, Sandy and I are stunned by the number of people who've come up to us and said, hey, you know what, I'm listening. I was only going to go, I was only going to be here for a couple years, but I'm still here four years later because God called me to double my commitment. Like we've, so many, like it's shocking. I'm surprised every time. And, and so I just want to say, well done. You're, you're, that's family. <laughs> that's, let's dig in. Keep going. If, you're, if you are called here, be here and be all in. And any church we plant, which we're going to talk about in three weeks from now, um, if you're called to be part of that church plant, be all in. So give, serve, commit, all of that for the sake of others. That's what it means to be here. As family, we go. What are you waiting for? There's something rooted that's about rootedness that's central to Jesus' call. It's what St. Benedict called stability. Here's St. Benedict. He called stability the spiritual skill of staying put to get somewhere. Like, we don't know that. <laughs> like, we just know commuter life, you know? But St. Benedict, he, he led a bunch of monks to swear a 1,500-year-old vow. They're still doing it today. And while I don't think all Christians are called to be monks, I do think there's wisdom in a vow of stability for Christians in our fast-paced moment. So here's the actual vow. We'll end with this. They would say, we vow to remain all our life with our local community. Don't worry, I'm not making you say that to Park Hill uh, because we also value sentness. We also value leaving well. But, but we vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Wow, I want help giving that up. How do you give up that temptation? I need help. Holy Spirit, come, help me with that. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. My goodness, Lord have mercy. Ultimately, there's no escape from oneself. And the idea that things could be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out, restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, forgiving. Now, we're not all going to be monks, but this is the spirit we're shooting for. The way we want to think of our church, a network of communities, a network of families. Throughout our city, living out Jesus' way in the gritty realness of life. And then we all come together on Sunday around word, table, song, prayer to celebrate God's faithfulness and his rescue of us. We're not interested in an ideal. People come to basics sometimes with stars in their eyes and they're excited about being placed in the community. But recently we're getting some more real questions like, do I have to stay in the one you place me in because I might not like it. I'm like, that's the right question. And we'll work with you, 100%, we'll work with you. But the, I, we're, but the, the idea is that we're, we want the reality of the grittiness of doing family with people that will be awkward. <laughs> And we're inviting you to do that, to become like Jesus together. And so if you're new to this church, welcome. This was a very important Sunday, intense, and also, I think, I think trajectory setting, really helpful. Um, so wherever you're at with Jesus, lean in, reach out, open arms, open hearts. So we're not just inviting you to come to a Christian event on Sundays. Church is more than people around a stage. It is a family around a table. And so uh, that's where the real transformation happens. And I'm inviting you into that. So as a sign of that, we're going to worship, and we're going to come to the table, and we're going to open up for prayer. If, you need, if anything was said uh, that you're like, man, I, I don't even know how to begin unpacking that. I need help. Um, or maybe you just want to experience the Father's love. Like I said, it starts with the Father pouring out his love on you and you believing him that you're loved. Come forward for prayer. Um, we'd love to pray for you. Can we all stand together? 
And I just want to pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you wash this family in your love right now? Help us to say yes to you and no to the things we think are important but aren't of you. Maybe, maybe we just need the Spirit's help in that. What are the things to say no to in order to say yes to the way of Jesus as family? Holy Spirit, come. Yeah, we're going to have people on the right and left that would love to pray for you. And I'm going to invite for prayer specifically if this, if this sermon felt overwhelming, because it does to me. It does to me for several reasons. I'm still discovering pieces of my shadow side, my unself-aware, completely self-oriented way of thinking that makes me defensive toward the people I most love, that makes me react harshly when I don't want to. And so I'm overwhelmed. I can't. How, Lord Jesus, help me live as family toward my family. And so just as a way of saying, help me, Holy Spirit. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper. I would invite you to come forward and receive prayer up front. So I, right now, if you're a community leader, if you're a pastor, feel free to come forward right now. And, and everybody who wants help, <laughs> that's his name. He's the helper. Just come. And just say, help me, Holy Spirit. You don't, even need to, you don't even need to say why. The temptation, I think, is to say why. Like, I'm coming for prayer for this, and here's my story, and here's what I'm struggling with. I would encourage you not even to do that. Just, just open your hands. And let the prayer team take over. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your soul. Let the Father pour his love out on your life. And then we're going to come to the table at the end. But right now, just come and just receive the Holy Spirit.